later on this episode. You don't have to have it all figured out early on. As long as you're heading down the highway, there's going to be off ramps and certain things that come along that aren't available to you up front. This is At The Podium with Manuela Mesqua, a podcast featuring interviews with top performers in sports, business, and entertainment to uncover the stories, lessons, and disciplines of the top 1%. Ladies and gentlemen. And now here's your host, CEO and entrepreneur, Manuela Mesqua. Welcome to another conversation at the podium. Today, I am bringing you a nearly 20-year-long personal and professional relationship. He's an author. He's a certified trainer and master coach. He is the president and co-founder of Hoopus Performance Network. And look, he's a pretty badass musician with Hot LZ. My boy from Chicago, Joey Davenport. Welcome. All right, Manny. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, love having you. Uh, We don't connect enough, so we forced it here with the conversation at the podium today. So these days, you're living in Wilmette, Illinois, staying true to the Chicagoland area. Lindy, Will, everybody doing well? Very well, man. Yeah, I've been in Wilmette. You know, I lived in uh, Evanston, just north of the city for about 13 years. Moved to Wilmette about six years ago and and love it, man. It's great. Uh, You know, Will's uh, 13, so he's kind of in between uh, Ava and Atlas and, you know, what all that comes with, the good and the uh, interesting. But uh, it's all good. And Lindy and I, this year will be 20 years, man, that we've been married. So pretty proud of that. Congratulations. Congratulations. Well, you kind of know the drill. You mentioned that you've listened to a few few of these conversations in the past. And look, uh, I had a great conversation uh, with a new friend of mine, Lauren, and she mentioned, she said, hey, I like the questions, but I'm not sure that I clearly understand the purpose. And I (laughs) said, you know what? You're right. So what I was thinking is the intention behind the four questions I ask at the front end of every conversation is to give our friends and our listeners and our followers an inside perspective on some insignificant but significant things that we love and care about. So, Joey, without further ado, favorite color? Favorite color is navy blue. And matter of fact, it's so bad that like I eventually look down and everything I'm wearing is like navy blue, sunglasses, HPN's navy blue. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me. I, no, I'm going to just say it now. So this is so folks, navy blue. <laughs> folks, this is literally 15, 16 years ago. My man, Joey D is the president of NAFA Chicago. And we get connected through a mutual friend. And I was absolutely obsessed about Harry Hoopus at that time in my career. I still am <laughs> just busier with young children. So, Harry, you know, I still love you and think about you often, you and B in the family. And, and Harry's like, oh, man. He's like, or I mean, Joey. Joey's like, oh, I love Harry, man. I mean, we work together. Like, let me, let me make an introduction. I guarantee you. Harry will take an hour of his time to say hello and chat with you and and have you visit the office. So Joey makes the introduction. I will never forget this. I show up and I did show up in a blue suit, but I did not have a white shirt on. It was a colored shirt. It was from (laughs) some store like express. And like I had the same (laughs) color tie as the colored shirt. 
Oh, yeah, man. That's and, good. And Harry calls me out. <laughs> and ever since that day, yeah. I have worn nothing but a blue suit, white shirt, and symmetrical tie, typically red, blue, or yellow. And, and I just remember him telling me, and like for 15 minutes of our initial conversation, it was teaching me about why a Navy suit and white shirt, that's the simplest and most professional way you could show up to a first conversation with the prospect and represent professionalism and the colors of trust. Totally, man. And dude, the other thing, it's funny because he's sort of infamous all over the world about that, right? People come in joking, they got the white shirt or whatever. He's loosened up in retirement, by the way. He hasn't worn a tie in years. And I said, if you really want to be retired, you need a ponytail. But that's another story. But, uh, you know, the thing is, man, like even in our business, I know a lot of people listening, you're know, talking about when you're early on in business, you don't want to make it more difficult than it has to be. And so when you go on to meet another professional, let's say you're younger and you know, you've got uh, sideburns or, you know, you got a, a goatee and I'm not saying anything bad about that. But when you're early on and, you know, you've got a, you know, a, a blue shirt with a black tie or whatever, you know, it's like, dude, you're making this harder than it needs to be. And there's a lot of studies that say, you know, uh, there's more credibility with a white shirt and all those kind of things. And again, until you make that first impression. But that is hysterical. I forgot about that story. <laughs> and, and, by the, and by the way, folks, I mean, in true Harry Hoopa's fashion, which which for the first, I think, 15 years of knowing him, I called him nothing but Mr. Hoopas. I didn't even know his first name, but he said, and don't ever come back in nothing but a blue suit and white shirt. <laughs> and, and I never and I never did ever again in my entire career. So anyways, that's a shout out to the the legend, the living legend, Harry Hoopas and and so many of his hoopisms, uh, hoopisms. stuck with me and, 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 and a million others across the entire globe. Right. Yeah, let's go through the questions, because otherwise we're going to rabbit hole rant the whole time. We got too many things that we can. Talk and have, about. by the way, Manny, I'll just say real quick. Mickey yeah. White is the one that introduced us back in the day. So I'll throw a shout out there. So Mick White introduced. Oh. us. So <laughs> Mickey so. four fingers, four Mickey's fingers, Minneapolis dominating life. Oh, yeah, man, totally. Right. So isn't that funny. That's, yeah, what, that's, that's the, the way the world works. So. All right. All what's right, the next one? OK, no, number two, favorite afternoon snack. Oh, yeah. Uh, salty planters peanuts. We keep like a big thing of peanuts. That's like my go to snack before dinner at night, afternoon, whole thing. So I got yeah, some planters go peanuts brand. somewhere around here. So don't go off brand planters. Alex, planters. you got to get us a deal with planters peanuts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Cut me Number three, favorite childhood superhero. Man, this one is easy. This pops up. Batman would be mine. One, because he's vigilante. He doesn't really have a superpower other than he's super wicked smart and has a bunch of tools. And the other thing that I'll uh, throw in here is I grew up uh, watching those 1960s when they're wearing the leotards and it's the pal, the bam. And that comes on on Saturdays and Lindy will come down and I'm drinking my coffee and she'll catch me watching those old Batman ones with the pal slam. And I don't know why, but I just still love that. So Batman, for those reasons, is uh, my favorite superhero. I love it. And I'm excited for this last one. Right. You being a musician uh, at heart. And really, I mean, if you think about it, it could have been one of the greatest careers full-time careers of your life, you still got a lot of runway, so you could still make a pivot if you needed to. Yeah, but your for favorite, sure, bro. <laughs> favorite, favorite band, record, yeah. or track? Okay. By the same band or whatever, I'd say Led Zeppelin would be my favorite band. Uh, Led Zeppelin 4 
is where a bunch of hits and classics are on it. And just to stick with the Led Zeppelin theme, Cashmere is probably my favorite one. As a matter of fact, when I'm out speaking, uh, sometimes they'll ask, what music do you want to come up uh, to the stage with? And it's always Cashmere. Dun-dun-dun, dun-dun-dun. every time over the years it doesn't happen often when they ask you but that's my go-to is cashmere for this uh, main stage walk up i love it i love it and and for me you know knowing you i mean there's no surprise uh hot lz i mean led zeppelin one of the greatest bands of all time uh and tell us let's let's start off with the band i mean you've been playing for how long i mean how's the band doing where are you playing at these days where can they find you Man, so I've been playing, like I've been seeing or whatever, like, you know, like in high school, madrigals, chamber choir in college. I quit chamber choir and started a rock band back in college. But um, this band, Hot LZ, I've been with this group uh, for 10 years. Matter of fact, this uh, May is our, is this May? This is May. It's our 10, 10 year anniversary. And like we have a gig at Wilmette Theater and a couple of the places around Chicago coming up. So uh, it's been pretty cool, man. HotLZBand.com. I'll give a shameless plug there. There's like... Uh, music you can listen to in videos, but man, just, you know, a bunch of middle-aged men hanging on, you know what I mean? So matter of fact, dude, in the background, you see up there, that's a vinyl record. That's uh, it. Uh, Fuzz Buster was our album a few years ago and we pressed like 50 vinyl records. So I have it like framed and up here uh, in there. So just, you know, not playing anything with it other than just a, a great passion, man. You know, we, I write most of the music and play mostly, uh, a ri- everybody wants to hear Brown Eyed Girls. So when they hear originals, oh, yeah. As fired up. But uh, anyway, it's been great. dude. It's like a great out outlet. You know, it's a great artistic expression. I like writing music, playing guitar, all that stuff. So I appreciate you uh, bringing it up, actually. 100 percent. And, you know, look, I mean, these conversations are really geared around wins, losses, losses and lessons in life. And just knowing you for as long as I've had the privilege to uh, you have a lot of those in. And, and, and look, I mean, as as somebody who wins, you fail often along the way as well. And so I wanted to dig into all three of those today. But look, let's start off. Let's start off on uh, really your current obsession, which has been your obsession for nearly 15 years now. The Hoopas Performance Network. I mean, literally, it is the premier online learning resource and tool to the industry that you and I have uh, the privilege to have started in which is financial services. But I mean, it's it's become so much more than that today. Can you walk us through what is the Hoopus Performance Network today? What's the vision? Where is it going? And maybe share a couple of the notable moments along that 15-year journey between you and Harry. Yeah, man. So, you know, I've been in the financial services industry almost 30 years, started back in Nashville, Tennessee, and then even back then, I was on path to kind of go the managing partner route like you. And uh, even back in Nashville, I used to say, yeah, but I'd also like to start a uh, sales training leadership company. And of course, in our company at the time, they were like, what, what are you talking about, man? It's like complete blasphemy. I was like a black sheep, you know, for even thinking anything outside of that. So long you can't story do short, it better than us. You can't do it better than us. <laughs> exactly. And so I uh, went to the home office of uh, that company, like on a two year, three month rotation position. And, uh, you know, and honestly, man, first time, because I was like a financial advisor, I was in management, but I didn't know anything about instructional design, video production. And so, you know, God bless. I mean, that's who kind of put me on the path uh, serendipitously to start learning, oh, instructional design and learning and development. And you can do video production and things like that. And again, serendipitously, I met Harry Hoopas about a month after I'd went to the home office 
And uh, we uh, struck up a friendship and he says, hey, what do you want to do in the future? I said, I want to be a managing partner. But what I really want to do is build this outside sales training leadership development company. He says, well, in 10 years, I'm retiring. I'm interested in that. And long story short, man, you know, we started HPN. So early on, man, you know, we, as you recall, we had about 200 and something financial advisors here in Chicago, very successful, uh, one of the most successful financial services firms. And so as we started HPN, my early on tagline was field tested in the living laboratory. I know you like that one. As I said for years, because think about it, man. We used to incubate stuff like trustworthy selling that you know about now, our sales effectiveness program, over 20,000 graduates all over the world, right? I used to incubate that stuff right there in our firm here in Chicago and go work with guys coaching and go try this, you know, early on the behavioral econ stuff, go do this, apply this, say this, and they come back, oh, this worked, this didn't. And so literally field test in the living laboratory. And HPN is really primarily digital content. So it's like the, the top digital content library in the industry. And about half the content is the top experts, you know, in the industry, your Tom Hegnes and Joey Jordans and, and people like that. But we've always wanted to keep it fresh and, and, and at the street level. So about half of the content are top producers and financial advisors and leaders and things. And the funny thing, Manny, you talking about early on. Well, here's what it was like early on. I'd go to like Bill Gates and them and say, it, it was really like a content marketing play before people called it content marketing, quite honestly, man, this would have been like 06, 07, 06, 07, yeah, 06, 07. Say, hey man, you give us some content and we'll put it on here and you know people are going to like it and they might come to your website. Well, dude, we had like 10 subscribers. <laughs> so yeah, it was like... <laughs> I had a hat in hand. You know, I'm like, we going to be big time someday, you know? And uh, luckily we had a lot of those relationships and to where it evolved. And, you know, like now, man, we've got you know, over 70,000 subscribers, as you mentioned. And so, man, I have like these big subject matter experts that call us up, you know, to want to come film and we have a screen yeah. plus on, but it's kind of funny from the early days, man, where you're begging, borrowing, stealing to get people to buy into the vision uh, till today, you know, people are getting a lot of exposure and, and stuff from it or whatever. So um, anyway, and so it's evolved over the years. Uh, you know, um, if we just acquired another company or whatever, you're talking about kind of the vision for the future. We acquired another digital content company. It was like a smaller competitor of ours that so like doubled the amount of our content or whatever. And it's been a wild ride because, I mean, man, we do a ton of stuff internationally. Like we do a lot in Latin America. You know, um, we have about 500 videos in Spanish, like native mm. Latino Latinas, right? Like from Colombia, Peru, et cetera, like MDRT core to the table. So we're doing a lot down there. It's exciting doing a ton in Asia. Um, you know, I've got it in multiple languages. HPN is uh, content is in like eight languages. Trustworthy is in four or five languages. Trustworthy is being delivered in China. You know, if you can think back about that. And so that's been pretty exciting. Uh, that stuff to think about, you know, we used to film in a broom closet in the agency, you know, back in the day or whatever. Oh, yeah. so I'm super blessed, you know, uh, over all these years. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? You just said that. And I just, I kind of look back and I, I chuckle, you know, uh, you were, you and Harry were absolutely a pioneer in the space. I mean, it's no joke about filming in a broom closet, right? I mean, the 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 opinions and the judgment and the criticism that was coming from all the people around you saying, what the heck are you doing filming yourself, you know, or filming this or that and to not understand where the puck was going. I mean, I just I look back and I say it to everybody from, you know, my days, 
you know, where I started at my first company, the pickle, God bless them, love them, miss Bloomington, Illinois, big time. And, uh, and the folks there, but, but to today, there's so many people who look back and, and, and really recognize, uh, HPN as having had a meaningful impact on the trajectory and their success of their career. Talk to us about what that vision originally looked like for you and Harry. I mean, take us back those 15 years. What was the discussion really like at that time for folks who have an idea and really just don't know what to do with it, don't know who to talk to and what to discuss to make that idea come to life? Yeah, man. So, you know, the thing I would say there is you don't have to have it all figured out early on. As long as you're heading down the highway, there's going to be off ramps and certain things that come along that aren't available to you up front. So, man, when I first, you know, started HPM, we were talking about doing live workshops, you know, here in Chicago or whatever. And then along and we were doing live workshops and had permission to do that. And I was out doing speaking and things like that. And then at an industry conference, um, we met our technology partner that had this new platform where you could take video and upload it to a website. I go, oh, and he goes, yeah, we, the problem is we just have to find people with content. And I'm like, oh, well, we've got a lot of content. And so all this stuff we were speaking about and running workshops, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, I buy a camera. I can film myself. We can upload it to a website. Now, back in the day, man, it would be buffering. You know, that was my biggest nightmare is the bandwidth was so bad. We were so ahead of our time. They're like, this is buffering. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. Just pause it and let it play out for about, you know, 10 minutes. Give me some some of that T1 internet. Give me some of that T1 internet. (laughs) Um, But I mean, that was the stuff early on. But the thing was, it just evolved, right? The technology wasn't there early on. Then the technology came and then we're like, dude, we can like scale this. You know what I mean? Like this transcends, uh, you know, just the agency or whatever. And then this transcends borders. And so things just became an evolution. And then from HPNU, you needed to, to diversify, right? And so then we started doing trustworthy selling. And then trustworthy selling started out with uh, kind of um, for experienced advisors. And then we realized people would come to us and say, well, why would you like let us train them wrong and then give them to you two years in to train right, which I thought was funny. So he said, okay, we create a quick start. But again, you don't know the roadmap per se, man. You just kind of have a vision for stuff, but it changes along the way and you have to evolve and adapt right along the way. You don't have to have everything figured out front. And man, I got a quick, funny story you'll love. You talk about the naysayers and all that. Man, we used to set up in the agency. There'd be like 50 people. We'd have a speaker in. I'd have like an intern running a camera. He's got, first of all, everybody's got white shirt, blue suit, going back to your thing, red tie. This guy's got like hair down to here with a stocking cap on, no socks, high water pants. He's filming. And the management team, I won't mention names. We know them. They'd come up and they'd say, who's uh, Moses over there behind the camera? I'm like, oh, yeah, it's real funny, you know, and uh, but I mean, we used to catch a lot of a lot of crap, man. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't buttoned down blue suit, you know, way outside the box. And I guess it's just you've got to stick with it. Right. There's going to be naysayers. I mean, man, we go to lamp conference and a lot of our contemporaries would be there while I'm exhibiting which was weird. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, because I'm exhibiting. They're like, what are you doing? And so for years, you, you've got to you've got to stay with your convictions. Right. Because there's a lot of naysayers that don't see the vision that you have. And it's great. Right? I look back now and to hear you say some of the stuff people say about HP and it feels good. Right. But it's bumpy along the way, especially when it's unorthodox and it doesn't fit the blueprint. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I and I'm I'm glad I'm glad you took our listeners through that that journey. You know, I often think about how many incredible ideas, incredible dreams, incredible visions die inside of the person who gave it birth. You know, right. and it's it's like, hey, you know, we talk about, you know, auditing our circles and, you know, be mindful of your surroundings and the people that you associate yourself with. Looking back on that time, you've hit, man, you've had some of the greatest minds and the, the most successful stories in our industry surrounding you and, and loving on you and pouring into you and being true advocates. Talk to us, talk to the listeners a little bit and share a little bit about what some of the greatest advocates did for you or on your behalf at that time when there was a lot of criticism uh, being sent your way about this new idea, this vision, and this concept that you have that's now become wildly successful. Yeah, the, the thing you have to do in that is you have to surround yourself with other like-minded people, right? That might not be doing exactly what you're doing. So when I think back of like all the consultants over the years, Dr. Bob Sharon and people that we would know along the way, right? That, um, you know, that they're down a path and, and you've got to seek counsel with them, especially when you're down and, and feeling, you know, uh, you know, kind of like I'm on the right path. So I go be a managing partner instead of doing this. This is a clear cut. Men, the other thing is, listening to the feedback. I mean, dude, you've been a huge advocate over the years, right? A huge one. And so you've got to like not get in the foxhole so much that you don't take a step back and you hear the positive stuff. You've been super positive over the years. You've given testimonials. You've talked about the way you use HPN. There's a lot of that going on out there. And so there can be so much negative. You have to like listen to the positive impact that you're making to kind of fuel yourself, right? We talk about missionary zeal. Uh, you know, you've uh -oh. got to be a missionary zeal. I always said like in our business, I'll take a, a fool on fire over a scholar on ice any day, right? Just somebody with blinders on that's plugged into that, that power of purpose, if you will, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, like people, I say, oh, you're enthusiastic, high energy, all that. We talk about uh, in trustworthy, entheos comes from the, or uh, enthusiasm comes from the Greek root word, entheos, which means God within. And, and, and that means your convictions are so powerful that other people catch it. You know, Graham, one of the godfathers of our business, used to say emotions are caught, not taught. And he's talking about like in a closing presentation, the key there is you have to have enthusiasm and believe in what you're recommending is the right thing for somebody else. They'll catch that emotion, right? That God within, that in Theos. And so part of it was always plugging into and reminding yourself of the greater work you're doing. I'm here to, you know, financial advisors are out there impacting lives and creating financial security. And we've got the opportunity to train and educate and influence these, you know, tens of thousands of financial professionals who are creating financial security worldwide. And, and then we always made a point of kind of tying our team back to that because a lot of people on my team are video production people. And you know what I mean? They didn't grow up in the business. And so we do always try to plug them into that power purpose. Look, this is, this is bigger than us, right? This is creating financial security uh, throughout the world, et cetera. So to circle back to your answer, it's surrounding you with people that believe in those things too, that are constantly reminding you and just sticking with the power of purpose, man, that, you know, we're on a mission and, and that helps you to overcome naysayers along the way, because it does get turbulent, right? But if you believe you're doing the right thing for the right reason, onward and upward. So, well, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that's so that power of purpose 
is so relevant to any idea, any industry, any occupation. And, and I do agree. I mean, that transfer of energy and enthusiasm is, is, is mission critical, if you will, in any environment in life, right? Whether we're working to add value and influence our children's lives, our coworkers' lives, or the community in general, I've just never seen where a little bit of healthy and authentic energy and enthusiasm uh, lands incorrectly or does not add value to the outcome. So I'm glad you brought that up. It made me think about how I think at that time, how uniquely that positioned you as a learning resource. I just can't think of, there were so many consultants and companies out there fighting for that space of hey, how do we improve our industry or improve sales industry in general? How do we add value? How do we drive retention in commissionable sales professions? And I just don't recall many people sharing the vision, vision casting, if you will, sharing the value proposition and selling their learning platform with the energy and enthusiasm you had. And three specific things I can think of uh, really resonated for us over the last 15 years. One, when you came out with a 12 and 24 month curriculum for new advisor candidates, I like the ability to just kind of hit the play button and let that thing run and, and not having to have, you know, a 12 person training and development department internally within the firm. Yeah. But, you know, like you said, field tested curriculum, right? Yeah. Uh, that I thought that was, I mean, that just was at, at that time I was like, well, no one else is doing this. How, how can this not be helpful? You got to be all in on that. Number two, when you, when you hit it out of the park with adding a, a, a curriculum and expertise around uh, providing uh, access to this career while people are in college, mm-hmm. in the internship program, an internship curriculum, helping people understand that really bring the earlier we introduce people to this, you know, noble profession, the, the, the higher statistical likelihood is that they, they literally uh, uh, make it their calling and they have a 40, 50 year career. And the third one, it was my favorite. And I still think looking back, it's what just set you completely apart was when it became mobile friendly. Yep. And I still vividly recall our, our managing directors saying to our advisors, if you can't take joint work, you better watch a damn video before you get out of your car and go into that meeting. Totally, and, man. And I thought that was so powerful to have that like on-demand, almost expert advisor on your shoulder right before you walk into a prospect meeting. I thought that was killer. I really see those as having had significant impacts in the trajectory and the growth of the organization. Yep. You might see others. I think about how that's been a part of helping you grow to, you know, one of the fastest growing, uh, you know, Inc. 500 organizations that are privately held in the country. Give us a few other examples or maybe comment on the ones I share. Man, I'd say one of the things it is, is leverage, right? It's like busy managers. And I knew this just for myself, man, if you're in our business, right, or any manager, you're having to recruit and coach and run your business. In some cases, you're, if you're a sales manager, you're also producing. That's a lot of things you're trying to juggle. And so, you know, when, when the company comes and says, oh, here's something else, here's another thing, you're like, oh my God, there's something else. I always try to cut through and say, no, 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 no. 
this is leverage to, uh, you know, to expand span of control, right? To save you time and energy. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I'd say, Manny, that's important of having lots of different experts is, men. You know, you're not necessarily an expert in social media or target marketing or team selling or whatever, right? As good as a manager or a coach or whoever might be. So to leverage people that have different expertise along those and be able to pipe them in on demand, you know, is uh, was a big strength over the years. And people see it. And dude, let's face it. You're never a profit in your own hometown. I mean, I used to, dude, I'd go to like Hong Kong and speak with Hoobus and we'd come back. I'm like, man, I'm a big deal. I'd get up in front of the agency and half of them are falling asleep and slobbering on the table. I'm like, no, 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 we have a big deal. And in the minute I bring in an outside paid speaker, they say the same thing I was saying. And next thing you know, it's the greatest thing the advisor's ever heard. And as a manager, we have to understand you're never a profit in your own hometown. So you've done a great job over the years of bringing in lots of outside experts, whether it's, you know, Ben Newman or Resigi or Kellenick or whoever it is, right? You've always leveraged these outside experts because you realize, man, hell, half the time they're going to be saying stuff that I've been saying and my team's been saying, they're just going to hear it better coming from them. And so uh, I think you've done an outstanding job uh, of uh, doing that. Matter of fact, you had me out, remember, at the uh, Lions Stadium, Ford Field or whatever, yeah, kick, right I before the pandemic. That was, was about a month before the pandemic hit. Two months before. Yeah, man. You I and mean, Newman. That, yeah, me and Newman. That was like my last trip almost, uh, business trip before the pandemic. I had a couple more, and then, boom, we were on lockdown, you know, for a couple of years. So, hey, you know, anyway, from, I digress. I forgot where we were. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm forever a bear, man, but Lions Nation, you got to be excited about Coach Dan Campbell. I'm yeah. just, look, you, you, like, there's no way – you could be anyone who loves and respects the sport of football and not love the Dan Campbell story. I'm yeah. just saying that because it was brought up. You cannot not be excited about coach Dan Campbell and the Detroit lions. Let's see what happens this year. Definitely, man. That's good. Um, Hey, so, but you know, it's not all, it's not been all wins, right? It's not been all wins. And while you're having this incredible growth, you know, there's, there's been, like you said, there's been some acquisitions recently. Congratulations on that. It's only going to make the industry better. It's going to bring more value to just even the sales industry in general. You're looking forward and, and I've heard rumors. I've heard you comment on a podcast, you know, HPN's ready to take on sales in general and add value to the industry, you know, beyond or to sales beyond financial, the financial services industry. Talk to us about the future of HPN. Where is it going? And what are, you know, what are some of the concerns that you may have along the way based on how you've grown and scaled in the past? Man, so uh, let me figure out where to start on that. You know, definitely we're approached all the time about, hey, this would be effective in any vertical on the sales side. I've even done an audit of Trustworthy to see there's certain modules that are like 92, 93% industry agnostic. So that's something that we're kicking around with Limerick Exploring. Man, the other thing I would tell you is um, with this the latest acquisition of the Financial Service Education Network, um, Dick Clare and his team had content that of, on financial wellness that is consumer facing. And so I've been developing this strategy around, look, financial wellness is like a hot topic out there, whatever. We just need to build content around it. I had a whole plan, but we were going to build the content. Well, they had content you know, once we had uh, partnered or acquired the company. So man, now we have this consumer facing 
financial wellness content, 200 micro learning videos from stuff like, do I buy a lease a car? How do I balance my budget? You know, like day-to-day stuff like that to retirement planning. What's an IRA? What do I do for planning at retirement? You know, what's, uh, you know, what's social security all about? We got like a dozen videos on social security, then stuff on risk management, life insurance, disability, even Medicare, um, you know, which we update annually. So man, this financial wellness transcends any vertical. And it's like one of the hottest topics out there. So, you know, home offices or, you know, anybody that has employees wants to attract people, they want to retain them. We're in the great resignation, right? And people want to know that their employer cares about them, whether it's mind, body, spirit, financial, whatever. Um, Like I'm going to this SHRM conference, as an example, the Society of Human Resource Management uh, down in New Orleans in about three weeks. There's like 15,000 people this thing. You know, I'm used to going to our industry meetings. Well, I'll be like a fish out of water. But the fact of the matter is, all of those home off, those uh, human resource professionals have some kind of interest in financial wellness. So that gets me excited because now you're getting outside of our vertical. You're getting down to the consumer, uh, talking about making an impact. And it's funny, man. I uh, Limer International's president's got Paul Aerosmith. He's become like a mentor of mine, and he's a Kiwi from New Zealand. And I was sharing it with him because I said, oh, "Could this work internationally?" And he goes. Well, don't they teach that stuff in the United States in school growing up? <laughs> and I go, I go, well, no, they, they don't. And he was like shocked, right? Because in most other places in the world, you know what I mean? The developed world, they're teaching like financial literacy and stuff like at an early age. And, you know, the good news is now in, in uh, the United States, there's like 27 states that require a high school senior to complete a financial wellness or financial literacy course to graduate, which is exciting. But anyway, I'm getting a little bit on the soapbox, but my point is it's exciting because that's outside the vertical. Then now everybody is, is a potential candidate, you know, for that. And you're educating consumers, man, on things that is a big stress point in people's lives, man, the lack of knowledge around, uh, you know, financial literacy and financial wellness and stuff. So, and then the other thing I would tell you we're headed, that's kind of cool. It might be of interest here is now we are creating AI avatars in language. And so the big thing in Asian stuff is having to localize so they can have, you know, uh, one of our subject matter X, they can have me, they can have the white dude from, you know, Chicago or Nashville with a voiceover in foreign language, but man, they want uh, native speaking looking, uh, you know, producers and things, which and so now one way we're doing that to localize is this AI avatar technology to where, man, in language, I can have someone that's Vietnamese that is an AI avatar that you would not know the difference. You would think it was a live person speaking in the classroom. So that's like a frontier that's super exciting for us that allows us to scale in other languages. And, and so anyway, that's another thing I guess I'd bring up of kind of exciting about the future and things that we've got going on that's pretty, pretty innovative and, and cutting edge out there. And, and to be clear, even with all of these expansions within the industry and and in, into different selling verticals, possibly your the commitment remains. I mean, the 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 bread and butter, the the obsession is the Hoopus Performance Network, and it's still serving the financial services industry. Is that correct? So, and man, all this is under the umbrella of HPM, yeah, right? So these are all just kind of different divisions, if you will. But yeah, this is all under the, the company or the organization of HPM for sure. 
So, so I know it's widely recognized that that one of the big, you know, most significant missions and purposes of HPN was, hey, we're created creating this for the field by the field, uh, with the commitment to drive not only the servant leadership and the effectiveness of how we serve our clients in the marketplace, but overall advisor retention to the career. Let's take a couple minutes to talk about the career. Is that all right? Sure, man. All right. So I mean- recently. I went on LinkedIn and I put a post out there and I said, cold calling's dead. And I got everybody commenting on it. People within the industry, people I know, people I don't know, people completely outside the industry. It was probably the most meaningful intellectual (laughs) beating and debate that I've (laughs) taken in a long time. But I loved it. The feedback was, was professional. The observations were professional. The engagement was professional. I think that's what I enjoyed the most because I've seen some really like below the line stuff, uh, as we all know, on social media. So shout out to everyone who responded to that post. But I said, cold calling's dead. How do you see it? Man, it's funny. I saw that. I saw like David Fisher, D Fish, a number of other people. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm like, this is a fun one, man. He stored up a, stored up a hornet's nest on this one. <laughs> well, man, I mean, whatever people want to say, I've said for years, cold calling is God's punishment for failing to prospect and get favorable introduction. So, you know, I'm not saying you can't not do it. I kind of do it at the enterprise level, but I find ways that I'm connected with people, whether I'm using sales navigator or whatever to name drop and whatnot, but it's just tough to do these days in this world where, you know, you're, you're, you know, people aren't picking up phones and it's tough to reach people and stuff like that. And so being introduced on a favorable basis is always going to be the best way, but, you know, primarily because of the the issue of trust, right? It's borrowed trust. And because, you know, uh, you know, 47% of consumers report that they're afraid of making a mistake in their financial decision-making when people are afraid of making a mistake, what do they do, man? They do nothing. Yes. Sorry. I'll let you answer. (laughs) No, I love it. Yes, you're right. 71% of consumers report they're more confused after they meet with a financial advisor than before they met with a financial advisor. Imagine that. You show up with our fancy charts and our graphs and all this. So, man, there is a wall up of people of this lack of trust, fear, confusion, procrastination, you know, the whole thing. And so cold calling in on something like this, on a, something that's very personal is possible, but it's complicated. You know, it's difficult. And so it's easier to teach people language and conviction of getting introduced on a favorable basis just to increase the efficiencies of, go, of getting an appointment, going through the sales process, all this because of borrowed trust. Now, is that easy? No, there's a pain either way, man. You pick your pain cold calling or asking for favorable introductions. And uh, I love that post though. And uh, I'm more along the camp with you, but dude, anytime you can throw a social media post that get us a hornet's nest stirred up, that's a good post, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Chad, Chad Miles. So you heard it here. Joey Davenport just said, cold calling is complicated. So maybe we look for another post later on. Chad, if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to get in touch with me, it's 555-1800. So, uh, I, I, <laughs> he doesn't get it. Chad's really young. <laughs> I, I do love your post, man. You know, the thing, and I know you're interviewing me here, but the thing I've loved about you, I've had so much admiration and respect for you for years, is I think better than any other managing partner 
out there, you know, branding and, and, and how to brand better than anybody. You've been so good at that for so long, man. And it, that doesn't come natural for people like whether it's this podcast or the stuff that you're doing in greater Detroit, man, you just, you know, I remember one of the early videos you did for HPN was positioning your brand for recruiting. Right. I mean, you've just always been a branding kind of guy. And it's funny. We, you know, in our space, Managers get so caught up in the functional aspects, recruiting, selection, training, you know, maybe they talk about culture, of course, but branding is not necessarily one that's taught in the toolbox. And so hats off, my friend, I'm telling you, you've been brilliant at it. And I, I learned stuff from it. I love looking at your posts. I love watching you do what you do. So uh, good work. Yeah. All right. Second topic in, in, in career advancement development within our industry. And let's keep it narrowed into our industry just for a second, because yeah. I think that's where, you know, people don't understand my cold calling is dead comment. I was speaking more for the industry, but that's shame on me for not providing the context. So I have been very outspoken, very outspoken that instead of working on someone's natural market 200, if you will, or the 200 people that they know and like the most that they have a relationship with and they can reach out to when they first begin in the career to offer their services to, I've said, hey, let's really pour into our young candidates and help them understand why this profession, how we add value and teach them really excellent systems coupled with language and process mastery. Yep. Let's do that for six months. And let's, then let's unleash that on the people that they care and respect the most to see if there's a way that we could add value to their lives. Talk to me about that. Man, it's a great one. I mean, a couple of things, you know, in the past, we've kind of talked about, you know, what are the keys and everybody's got the keys to it. First and foremost, it's just straight up hard work. You, you know what I mean? It's, there's no substitute for work ethic. You know, the oldest selfie tailor, a broke clock is right twice a day, you know, and I've said for years, look, you could be the best salesperson uh, with the best market. And if you're not seeing enough people out there where the accidents are happening, they happen every day, you can't make it. I mean, you might make it after six months, but after that, that, that well runs dry. Flip, on the flip side, you could be the worst salesperson with the worst market. If I'm keeping 50 to 60 appointments a month or whatever, I'm going to make it despite myself. So I say that up front, that there's no substitute for hard work and hustling. I mean, part of what I'm doing today, it's on the B2B sales side. I'm always hustling, man. I always have activity. Let's go past that, right? That's the, the pure thing. The other thing is the language and repetition of skills of your time. But, but here's something, man. You've got to be able to plug people into markets these days or be able to get them off to a fast start in a market. The years of like the 200, Project 200, that works in things. But man, where I see it done, I'll give you an example, team selling. That means different things to different people, right? I can't figure out why the industry hasn't completely figured that out because in my opinion, you've got chocolate meets peanut butter. You've got an aging advisor population that's sitting on 1,500, 2,000 clients that are segmented A, B, C, D. They can't possibly serve those clients, right? They don't have enough span of control to serve them. And then you've got newer advisors getting in the business who are eager and have language and want to help and they have no market. And so being able to match up junior associates with uh, veteran advisors and looking at what North Star's doing and some other places makes a lot of sense. 
some of the better managing partners I know and other companies I won't mention, man, they've got relationships with banks where they can plug young advisors in at a bank, right? To be able to go and do things. So we have to be able to do market development in the future. And if it's Manny holding them in the gates while you're training them and kind of building out a market or plugging them into certain markets or something, that's a big piece that not a lot of people are still talking about. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, there's a lot to be explored there. Um, and I just want to say that up front, you know, that's a big thing that runs people out of the business. You can work hard. If you don't have people to call on or whatever, you're not going to make it. And I think there's a lot of solutions around us that need to be explored further and, and really refined and, and even bringing in outside marketing assistance to think about how do we kind of do this strategically? Let's stay there. What are one or two more things that the industry or any sales organization can be doing more of early on to help somebody win in sales? Man, with that, joint work would be a big one, right? It's people, you need to build like a joint work culture if you've got it. I mean, no matter what, you can go out on, you know, a rep can get an introduction, they can book a phone call. Dude, you've got to do how many fact finders or discovery processes before you even start to sort of have it down. And we think yeah. somebody's going to go out on their own and do that. I remember Ronnie Knox was a, a legend in the business at Northwestern Mutual. First time I, I'm running, taking a fact finder. Ah, I'm speaking 70% of the time, listening 30, you know, the whole deal, telling them what I know, which I didn't know. I watch Ronnie Knox, man. He sits in, he's just very calm and collective. 70% of the time, the other person speaking, 30% of the time he's speaking, when he's speaking, he's asking questions. But I needed to observe that and the dynamics that went down there, this magic that's going down, the white magic, if you will, right in the silence that Brian Tracy talks about. I have to experience oh. that before I sit and go, oh, okay. You can tell people that, but until they do that, you can tell people about closing stuff, but until they see somebody do it where it's not heavy handed and it's getting buy in along the way. Right. And, and there's ways to draw people out and to engage them or whatever. Until you experience that and see that a number of times from the pros doing it. It's really hard for you to grasp it other than burning through probably a bunch of good people you could have helped. So that would be one thing I'd say is that joint work and kind of shadowing and mentoring at the street level. Think about every other profession. That's how that's done, man. People are out there observing other people doing this in action, in the field, right? Um, not theoretically over here. And so I just think a joint work culture and being able to shadow and watch pros do things like that is how it's taught in every other industry out there. Whether you talk about apprenticeships using your hands or whatever, there's probably something to be said about that over here in our space, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love, I love that you said that because, you know, whether it's the pharmaceutical industry uh, the, 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 the uniform and, and sort of industrial supply industry or, or even like the car rental industry. I mean, I think of companies like, like, like Lilly or, or, um, um, or, or enterprise rent a car or Cintas. Yep. They, they, they get a new like candidate for the career. And they just, they like shadow forever, <laughs> forever, yeah, forever. <laughs> we're, we're dude. And they're, they're giving you a loaner, giving yeah. you rubber mats or, <laughs> you know, peddling a pharmaceutical that may or may not be on formulary. And right. it, it, we're dealing with someone's financial well-being, which I've always said 
provides a family the power of choice mm. on how they're going to experience their one life. Absolutely. Like, and, and, and we can't do more joint work. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm consistently blown away by that. What, what, what's one while we're on that, what is like the simplest misstep or misopportunity you see sales organizations of any vertical doing consistently that boy, if they just tweak this one thing, yeah, I think we'd have a lot better retention within any of these professions that are connected to sales. Men, I would say on that. Well, first of all, I'll just tell you mindset. You know, it's the mindset of, you know, you got to say 50% of something's better than 100% of nothing. And you get reps. It's funny in our business, talk specifically about this. You see like retention come in the second year, people fall off. And we used to correlate joint work and we used to track joint work in our firm. And what we used to see is that in the second year, joint work dropped off substantially because now an advisor thinks, oh man, I kind of got this figured out. I don't need to do as much joint work. And now you wonder why we have the two-year retention cliff, right? And what's funny, Manny, is in the third, fourth, fifth year, joint work picked back up except now you're doing joint work with specialists and better markets. And so then you kind of get it. So it was very funny on the sophomore slump. If if, if, uh, firms would actually track joint work appointments and the percentage of appointments that are joint work, you'll see a fall off very often in that sophomore year where I think I got it figured out and I'm going to do boom, we lose a lot of people around then. Right. And so we used to correlate and see that. So that's one thing just in general around this, I would say men, I think there's a lot more opportunities to partner in all industries. There are aging baby boomers or whatever, right? With big mark uh, with that been around a long time or whatnot with it. There's new people coming in. There's a call it team selling in our space. It's team selling in a lot of spaces. Again, chocolate meets peanut butter. You've got a lot of baby boomers on the way out. A lot of people eager to get in, but don't have the market or skills. I think there's better ways in industry to, to match those two up. Yeah. And let me add on to that point, because I think a, a, a healthy layer that can lay on top is the organic, authentic mentorship yep. that it occurs in those partnerships. And so, like, if you had asked me the question in reverse, I would have said mentorship. Like, yep. we, we just we have an obligation. Like, hey, we do not drop off our three and four year old at for preschool three blocks away and say, I'll pick you up here after school. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't do that. We, 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 we take our three and our four-year-old all the way in. Yeah. I mean, I remember Samantha with Avon Atlas, the, 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 the principals out front. Hey, how, how you doing? I'm going to walk them in the teachers at the door. Hey, how you doing? I'm going to walk them into their desk. Totally. She would literally take them all the way to their desk. Right. And there's something to be said about, why do we do that? Because yeah. we want to make sure that the objective for the day is met, for the moment is met yeah. with our children. Yet we bring people into this like bloody business of sales because there's so much rejection just organically built into that environment. Yeah. And right? what's, what Samantha was doing, if you think on it, the pure essence of what she's doing with Ava and Atlas is you're, you're instilling confidence, man, through experience. So it's going in and going, oh, you sit here, you put your stuff in here. That's confidence. You know what I mean? Because you're more yes. confident about what I'm supposed to do. It's familiar. And the more familiar things are repetition is the mother of skill, you know, all of that. It just breeds confidence, you know? 
Yeah, I, lo- I love that you said that. You're you're absolutely right, and that's that's why you're a, a, a master, uh, tr- a, a certified trainer and master coach, and I am not. But that's ex- that's exactly right, right? You're you're showing them uh, exactly what to expect and what the experience should look like if it occurs as intended. And and I think sales, again, in terms of adding value to people and helping them understand, you know, our value proposition and, and where we can plug in and solve problems, I think is, is really no different. I think those repetitions, I love it. Repetition is what? Mother again? of skill. Mother of skill. And, and, and hey, of skill. and Manny, I got one more for you. I, mean, I don't know if this is a two hour podcast or what's going on here, but uh, I figured this would happen. I do have one more that's important. Early on, man, the Swartz brothers, you might remember the old Swartz brothers, Scott and Andy Swartz. So, man, you'd watch them. These guys were base, right? They're up in New Jersey. They're just killers. And they would talk on the platform. They say, for like the last 20 years, we would come out of appointments. And if we weren't in appointments together, if we were, and we're calling each other and going, this happened. Well, what about this? What did you say? I said this. I did. They're like watching film. You know what I mean? And know what to do. And Hoopus and I just spoke about this recently. For 15 years, man, he would sit in. He'd always say, he, I'd do play-by-play. He'd do color commentary. So we're in the C-suite. But, man, I'm doing demos of HPN and Trustworthy. He's over taking notes. Mm-hmm. You know, he is. Mm-hmm. He, we walk out. He's like, that was really good. But, you know, you should say this, do this, whatever. I'm like, okay, well, you should say this, too. We just talked about this last week. I go, dude, when you watch me sell now at the B2B level or whatnot, it's from 15 years of us giving feedback yes. from coming out of the C-suite, reflecting of what didn't work, what did work, and refining the craft and the presentation, just like the Swartz brothers talked about, just like we're talking, it's, it's like game tape. You know, I know you like the, the sports analogies and all that, but that's why they're watching tons of game tape when you think about Peyton Manning or whoever else. And so that's game tape, man. That's reflecting. That's why, again, back to joint work of being able to go and process that with someone about what just went down, good, bad, or whatever, you know? Well, and, 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 and off topic, but because you brought up the Schwartz brothers, I still remember (laughs) listening to Andy Schwartz almost 20 years ago, going back to the topic of cold calling is dead. (laughs) And there's no better way th- uh, to get a meeting and add value than through the favorable introduction of someone that you know, like, and trust. Right. Yeah. And, I remember him saying, and, and I think there's a little, there's a little, there's a little more noise out there in the marketplace than 20 years ago. So it, it, it's not, it's not easier. Than it was this, is, this is when Andy Schwartz became a legend for me, it, 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 like in my life. And look, I mean, it, Andy, I hope I get to work with you someday. I don't know if that's going to happen, but just so you know, I'm in. He says, no one is staying up the night before, sitting in bed with their spouse saying, hey, Manny's going to come over tomorrow. And I know that at the end of that meeting, he's going to ask us for favorable introductions to people that we know. (laughs) What's our position on that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, nobody has a position, right? That's no the whole thing. No one is worried about that, talking about it the day before, because they don't have a position on the matter. So right. If you've done a great job, just ask. Absolutely. Anyway, I don't know why you made me think of that, but you did. That's great, man. Goodness. Okay. I can, so- I can do this all day long, man. <laughs> <laughs> we should. I mean, this this could this could be uh this could be a good fireside chat for something someday. Definitely. Okay. L- last, last question. Last question. 
if you could do it all over again, what would you have done sooner? Man, if I could do it all over again, I would have scaled up sooner. You know, I would have, I would have, I would have hired more salespeople. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, I would have built out bigger marketing arm. It's more around business development stuff. Um, you know, now that I'm looking to growth mode and things, it's all about sales and marketing and how to scale that up. So if I would have it to do over again, I would have scaled and launched that up bigger to spread the message faster. That's what it boils down to, right? If you've only got myself and Hoopus and a couple other sales reps, there's only so much you can spread the good, the good message. And I think we've got a good message we're spreading. And so, man, you got to multiply that with people and have systems in place and language and processes and all that, which we do. Um, but I would have scaled up quicker on sales and marketing side to get the good word out there faster. So er, earlier this month, Lisa Kalanick, <laughs> she took she took time to hook up with our head of summer internship, Dan Richmond. And I just got to give her a quick shout out because you and her and your team uh, did a great job of showing us how we were going to onboard 17 summer interns for this year. And I got to tell you, I mean, like, look, it, I, I go back to, you know, 10 years ago, that was a hot thing. 20 years ago, that was a hot thing. 30 years ago, internships were the hot thing. It's always going to be the hot thing because the one question I hear from every main stage, every top performer say is, I wish I would have started sooner. The yep. comment that I hear, everyone always says, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have started earlier. Talk to us about what's that What's that one thing that Hoopus Performance Network is really obsessed about here over the next couple of years that people should look out for as they build their strategic growth plans and how they could partner with you? Man, um, a couple of things, a couple of things on that, on the intern program thing, I'll just bring this up. You know, our previous company, the one thing they said when we got permission to go outside in the industry, they were known for their internship program. The only thing that was off limits, they can talk about anything you want, but you can't talk about the internship program. I always thought that was interesting, right? Like, was this kept secret? Yep. The funny thing is, at LAMP, um, the Fonseca's LAMP, they had a big session around intern program on there, right? People are catching on with this. North Star, Eddie Deutsch and them, right? Have had their kind of intern feeder system for years or whatever. So anyway, um, I, I just wanted to make that point is that I do think there's a big future in it. There's no immediate return or impact. It requires investment of time and energy. And um, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to digress on a different thing to tell you real quick. Men, when I was back in Nashville, I ran the, the internship program, like one of the top intern programs. I had this guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say his name, Brandon Bose, went to Vanderbilt. He was a sophomore, okay? And I normally wouldn't bring on sophomores, but I meet this kid. He was actually from Nashville. His parents were loggers, if you will. So he's, he had like acne on his face and he comes in, he's got a white t-shirt untucked un, uh, with some khakis and he's got the limp handshake. He doesn't look me in the eye. And I mean, he's an engineering student at Vanderbilt. So I'm interviewing this guest. I'd like I, something about this kid. I'm like, I'm going to take a risk on it. So that summary comes in like, dude, you got to buy a suit. And I do joint work with him. I go, man, you got to look people in the eye. You got to shake hands. You got to do this. I just kind of coached and taught him uh, over that summer. Long story short, he sold like 12 lives that summer did really well, but I'm going to fast forward. Forward, I found out last summer and I kept up with him for years, but he is now 41. Okay. He is the chairman of the board of CBRE and he's worth 1.2 
billion with a B. And I gave him his first gig as an intern, as a sophomore at Vanderbilt. And, you know, they don't have finance at Vanderbilt. So a lot of these smart kids, they ended up in McKinsey or engineering students. And so my point back to the intern program and all that is this, men, you're going to have people that end up going full-time, which is great because they get a ramp to it. And, but men, you don't know where these people are going to oh go in God. life and the impact you're making on people at a young age and to teach them about our business. So there's a greater respect and a greater awareness of it. And so anyway, man, I just, you best about intern. I had to bring up Brandon Bose because I'm kind of like, because there's not too many people that uh, hit the B, <laughs> hit the B, the B rebellion. You know what I mean? At 41. At 41. So anyway, the point is, it's impact. It's getting people early. But even if they don't come into the business, look at the seeds you planted with people and the, and the difference you've made. And you've taught them about our business, which is a great thing, right? Hey, I always love being with you. Uh, no surprise. It's been a Likewise. long time. We've been in the flesh. We'll do it soon. I hope the listeners enjoyed this conversation. I mean, the wins, losses, and lessons uh, personally and professionally, but in our industry, in the sales vertical and in general, I think we're very valuable. Shout out and congratulations uh, to you and the executive leadership team on the partnership with Dick Cleary. Uh, don't know him personally, but have known of him my 20 year career. And of course, you know, congrats, health, happiness and continued success to you, Harry, uh, Miguel, Margaret and Melissa Peck. 1000%. And obviously, uh, you know, my dear friend, Lisa Kalanick, I uh, keep doing great things, brother. I wish you the very best. And I can't wait for next time. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you having me.